The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital, based in Santa Monica, California, and he's the author of a new book called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You. Welcome to the show, Roger. Thank you, Jordan. Let's just start with your background a little bit, becoming a partner at Woodridge Capital and leading into this book. Just give me a little bit of your history. Sure. I've been in the investment business uh, for for more than 20 years. I I was trained at, at Dean Witter. Uh, in the World Trade Center in the early 90s. And uh, prior to the uh, founding of Woodridge Capital, I was at UBS. I was a senior vice president at UBS Financial Services for about 10 years. And Woodridge Capital was formed in in 2006. Okay, and what, what kind of things, before we get to the book, what kind of things does Woodridge Capital do? Uh, the company is a registered investment advisor. We provide portfolio management services and wealth management services. We find that that the affluent, which is really the group that we serve, uh, want their advisors or advisor to offer uh, advice on more than just money management. So we offer a full suite of, of wealth management services. So what are some of the things, and on your money management side, what is your style? Are you a contrarian, a value investor, a growth investor? What kind of style do you have in your money management? Well, Jordan, we are, I'd say we are a style agnostic. Uh, what mm-hmm. we look for, for, for the benefit of our clients, is, is uh, to d- diversify the sources of risk and return. Uh, in the book, I talk a lot about tactical investing. And we use tactical investment systems to diversify uh, sources of risk and return in our client portfolio. So if I if I had to uh, say, you know, in just a few words, what we what we do, we are tactical investors, tactical money managers, and we employ momentum and trend following systems to accomplish that. And beyond, you said you do beyond just money management, you do other wealth management services. Talk to me a little bit about wealth management. What are some things that people should know about wealth management that you provide and and you find that other firms may not be providing? Sure. Well, it might be helpful to to define wealth management. And so I'll just give you my definition of wealth management. I define wealth management as, in, in terms of a formula, investment consulting plus advanced planning plus relationship management. And I'll just briefly go through those three uh, groups. Investment consulting is something that 100% of the people in the financial services business uh, do or claim to do. 
and some do it better than others. And we mentioned a, a moment ago that we are uh, tactical and trend-following in nature, seeking to diversify rather than just diversifying asset classes, which uh, can become very highly correlated, particularly during times of market stress. Um, we diversify sources of risk and return through the systems that uh, that I mentioned. I'm sure we'll get into more later. But 100% of people in the financial services business have some sort of system or method for investment consulting. The second piece in the wealth management formula, if you will, is advanced planning. And only 6%, according to our research, only 6% of people uh, in the investment advisory business or in the financial services business have uh, or offer real advanced planning. And, and I'll, I'll just tell you that advanced planning, we also express in terms of a, of a formula, uh, advanced planning equals uh, wealth enhancement, which is just reducing uh, the cost of debt, improving cash flow by managing uh, income taxes, uh, Wealth transfer, making sure that our clients' assets are properly titled and that the trusts and wills and those sorts of things are in place to, to make sure that our clients' assets get to where they want them, typically to their heirs. When you say advanced, do you mean more sophisticated or advanced meaning in the future? What do you mean by advanced? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I would say the answer is both. We mean advanced in the sense that it is beyond investment consulting. Uh, it, is, it addresses those issues that are important, very important to the affluent, but are not directly tied to how their investments are managed. So the second element of advanced planning is, is wealth transfer, making sure the money gets to the heirs or, or wherever it is the client wants it to go. Uh, third element is uh, wealth protection, making sure that the insurances are in place so that, uh, that our clients' assets aren't uh, unjustly taken through a, a lawsuit or, or some sort of bizarre sort of uh, one-off type event. So and the asset protection, we would call it asset protection, right? Yeah, yeah, asset yes. protection, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the state where the client lives, making sure that the home is is uh, in a trust, if that's appropriate, making sure the assets, the liquid assets, and any businesses that may be owned are properly titled and, and siloed, if you will, so that if something happens in, say, the family business, uh, an employee you know, has a wreck or, or whatever the case may be, that, that, the, that the damage from that event doesn't seep over in to the to the other family assets, mm -hmm. okay. and we find, and, and, and that's a great way to describe it. I mean, asset protection, and the final piece of that is charitable giving. About a third of the affluent are really interested in giving their money away, and so for those clients that are interested in that, we want to help them do that in a way that makes the most sense for them. Uh, and so, and then the final element uh, of the total formula is relationship management, and of course the first part of that is client relationship management, making sure that we express you know, to our clients or that we communicate to our clients the way they'd like us to communicate on the, on the terms and basis, whether it be face-to-face -face meetings or, or uh, telephone conferences, and that we do that on the frequency that the client wants and needs. 
The second part of that, and, and by the way, most people in the, in the business do that, but the second piece of that is expert relationship management. The, the four things that I mentioned in advanced planning uh, require other professionals. Uh, as a financial advisor, I don't write trust documents. I'm not a lawyer. I don't happen to have an insurance license, so I can't write or, or, or get life insurance or, or property and casualty or any of those sorts of things. And I'm certainly not an accountant. So um, my job as the quarterback of the process is to identify uh, those places where we need another expert, where we need a CPA or a lawyer or an insurance specialist. The team together, the team together, basically. That's right. That's right. And so um, those are the things that we find are very important to the affluent. The first, the most important thing is, is the investment consulting piece. You know, these people are wealthy. Their first ask of us is, or instruction is to keep me wealthy. Uh, that's the number one concern, and it, and it should be. But then the, the secondary and tertiary concerns are addressed in advanced planning. So just tell me a little bit about the firm. What is the minimum that you need to take on a client, and what kind of fees do you charge? you do assets under management, or how do you do that? Yeah, our, our stated minimum is a is million dollars, and uh, we charge uh, an asset-based fee that uh, is a sliding scale, uh, you know, depending on the size of the account, uh, from you know one and three quarters percent, you know, down uh, as the accounts get larger. Very good. So you did this book called "Wall Street's Just Not That Into You: An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth." It's kind of a provocative title. Is your impression that most people think Wall Street is working for them, and that? But you know it from the inside, and it really isn't. Kind of, what is the premise of the book? Yeah, well, the the uh, I think most people actually think uh, that, or or know inherently that there are lots of conflicts between individual or retail investors and, and Wall Street. The title really is just um, you know an effort to identify with that. I mean, I think I think most of us know that that there are those conflicts. The premise of the book is that, is that if, if the investor knows what those conflicts are and uh, understands what to look for in an advisor or a broker, um, then the investor can, even if Wall Street is just not that into you, or even if the odds are stacked against you, um, then the investor, given the right uh, sets of questions and tools, can can flourish anyway. So by understanding their conflicts, they can get around them to some extent and, and at least know what's happening to them. You're saying a lot of people don't really understand those conflicts and the, things are being well, done to them they don't really understand. Right. And the con- they're not necessarily – it's not entirely conflicts of interest. Let me give you an example. From, from my – position, Wall Street, and when I, when I talk about Wall Street, I'm talking about the big investment firms and, and lots of smaller people too, but there is on Wall Street what, what I call and what I've, I know other people call a permanent bull market bias. And let me explain what that means. From my standpoint, Wall Street takes the position 
that stocks or the market um, is permanently uh, on the rise. And our experience tells us, particularly or most notably the last 15 years, is that there are times when when buying the dips, as, as uh, Wall Street firms say, uh, is not only, not only does it work, but it's very, very painful. And so part of the book talks about employing various strategies that have uh, diversified sources of risk and return so that when we enter a particular market type, some or a portion of or a lot of a client's investment portfolio is positioned in a way that that hopefully is not hurt and and or we, we certainly position in a way that it'll be protected and possibly make money in those sorts of environments. So it's the recognition that um, timing matters and that markets can be very much overvalued for a long period of time and that they can be very much undervalued for a long period of time. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. His new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth. We'll be back after this. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. His new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Thank you, Jordan. So you begin with what you call a confidence crisis. Um, what has the impact of, even though it's several years ago now, the whole financial crisis of 2008-2009 as it relates to how people relate to their financial advisors? Hmm. Well, uh, when I talk about a confidence crisis, I, uh, you know, I was trained in the, in, the, in the Wall Street way. And for the first eight years of my career, uh, buying the dips worked. And, uh, you know, I think most of us that came of age during that period of time looked at, you know, 10 or 15 percent or even more uh, correction or decline in the market is an opportunity just to pile more money in and, you know, average your cost down. And that was, you know, pretty much the, the recommendation of, of Wall Street. 2001 and two comes along and buying the dips becomes uh, not only painful, but just destructive to protecting wealth. And so I found myself during that period of time uh, behaving as if I were a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we talk about handholding and and helping our clients, you know, quote, stay the course. And what became, what became clear to me is that, is that an allocation that was rigid, say 70 or 60 or 80% in the market, uh, could end up being very, very, uh, damaging to, to clients. And so I set out to, to discern and to find if there were ways to manage risk that didn't require or didn't uh, rely solely on on asset allocation as the sole uh, management of risk. So are you saying that during that period, 2001, uh, thereabouts, the kind of dot-com bust, that you privately had a lot of concerns and didn't think people should stay in the market, but because you're at a Wall Street firm, you kind of had to toe the line and tell people to stay the course and stay in there even though we're getting hurt every day. Is that what you're saying was happening? Well, no. Actually, what I'm saying is I didn't – as I was experiencing that, as my clients were getting – you know, experiencing the full brunt of that, I began to question I, – I didn't have a, a better way, you know. I, I, but I began to question, is this as good as it gets? Mm-hmm. And the confidence crisis was for me is that if, if the best I can do – is just be a cheerleader for the market and for equity investments and for asset allocation and you know, keep my clients invested, then I, that wasn't a good enough. That was not good enough for me because my clients wanted and needed real advice that didn't just, you know, give them up the, you know, the, the hang in there pitch. And so it, it unfortunately, you know, I, I experienced the full brunt as to my clients of the, of the 2001 to bear market, but it was during that period of time that I resolved uh, with some like-minded advisors to uh, investigate whether or not there were ways to manage risk that would protect or could protect clients if and when we got into another bear market like that. And so, So how did that work when you had another bear market in 2008? 
the buy and hold people versus the tactical uh, investment people, how did it actually perform when you had a real test of it in 2008, 2009? Yeah, well, we, we uh, were com- completely out of the market or out of stocks um, in August of August of 08, so probably 30 days or more before Lehman Brothers uh, filed for bankruptcy in the, mm-hmm. in the market or the world, financial world was ending as we know it or knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we, we did not know that was coming, of course, but what we, what we began to understand through our uh, research and looking at other managers and looking at other styles is that there are opportunities to reduce risk uh, by observing what's going on in the marketplace. And so, uh, and we've improved on these, I think, rather dramatically in the, you know, since the financial crisis. But so what were in, you seeing leading up to August 2008 that told you to get out of the market completely? <clears throat> well, uh, it was a number of things. Uh, we have a belief, uh, we, we believe that trends are very, very powerful and that they can last for a really long time. Uh, and nobody knows how long of an uptrend or downtrend is going to last. Uh, so we have a belief that these trends last uh, and are more likely to stay in place than, than to change. But we know also that they do change. And so we defined what a, a trend change was or is. And, uh, and then we followed that uh, those rules, and and you know, without getting too far into the weeds, we you know have a belief that if if m- markets begin to decline in a certain way, that the previous trend, the previous bull market trend or positive trend, is likely over, and that there's really no way to know how far the new downtrend is going to last. So is this and based so, on technical indicators of uh, yes, moving yes. moving averages and? 50-day and 200-day moving averages crossing and things like that? Or how, how are I mean, you determining sim- Similar to that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, not entirely, but technical analysis, trend analysis, breadth analysis, it's not any one thing. It's a, it's a series of, of indicators that tell us what the health of the market is or what the health of the trend is. And so, as I said earlier... The affluent, wealthy people, and really, that, for that matter, people that don't have a tremendous amount of wealth, if there's a way to identify when risk is high or higher and the relationship between the risk in the portfolio and the potential return of the portfolio is out of whack, then uh, to take steps to protect capital, we think is the prudent thing to do. Now, every... Uh, Sometimes when you're a tactical investor, you're following trends, uh, you will protect client capital from uh, a potential uh, bear market that doesn't fully materialize. So uh, I want to make sure the listeners, and I'm sure they they know this, that there's no way, as far as I know, that you can pick the top and the bottom of markets. But what you can do is develop systems that uh, evaluate the level of risk, and then st- take steps to systematically reduce risk. And then once a new trend 
reasserts itself, a new positive trend reasserts itself, whether it's at about the same level you got out or 20% below or 40% below or wherever it is, <clears throat> you are committed to reinvesting capital at, you know, whenever the new trend, the new positive trend reveals itself. So you got out in August 2008, avoided the Lehman fall, and then the market turned around in March 2009. Did you get in exactly in March 2009, and when did you see an uptrend start? <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we, didn't, you know, we did not pick, you know, or we didn't get invested on, I think, March 9th was the, was the bottom. Um, and, you know, there were people lucky enough to get, to get you know, pick that bottom, but, but, but we weren't. It was over, you know, over the spring and summer that we began to get fully invested. And, and then you'll r- recall that in 2011... There was uh, um, another, you know, sort of mini crisis that that ended up not developing into a full blown crisis. Uh, but there was a very meaning, <clears throat> excuse me, a very meaningful decline. Was over the government shutdown, I think, at that time, right? Uh, that and perhaps the first Greek sort of Greek um, crisis began to brew that summer, as I recall. But yes, in any right. event, markets really fell fell and <clears throat> dramatically, but then they reversed themselves rather dramatically. And um, anytime, <clears throat> anytime a, you're following a trend-following system and there is a sudden reversal, uh, either from the top down or the bottom up, you're going to, it's going to take you some time to get back invested. And so um, I say all this to say that uh, we missed the big downturn, I think, in September of 11, and we also missed the October, uh, you know, bounce back. But we've been, you know, basically fully invested uh, <clears throat> uh, since November of, of 2011. So the idea is we want to identify what the predominant trend of the market is. And when I say fully invested, I should say we've had equity exposure uh, and sometimes a lot of equity exposure since since late 2011. Uh, but we are beginning to see, and I think you see this in the market, that there is a choppiness and risk coming back into the market. And, um, you know, so there is some caution that we're exercising here. Um, but investment consulting, you know, that's the investment consulting piece. And again, the the, the, the first instruction many of our clients give us is uh, keep me wealthy. And so that's don't, the thing. Don't lose my capital. Is what you're don't have. lose yes. my capital. That's very good. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. His new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth. Uh, he is a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. We'll be back after this. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. 
conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth, and in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Great leaders today have certain capabilities that set them apart. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership, hosted by Kate Ebner, is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these stories and concepts every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. His new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You. An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Thank you. In the uh, book, you have uh, a chapter you called Lose Your Losers and Let Your Winners Run. This is a kind of a classic Wall Street term of, uh, you know, let your winners run and so on. Why is that a new idea? Is that something that it seems like it's pretty much Wall Street uh, dogma? Well, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a saying as, you know, as, uh, as old as, as the market uh, you know, it's been around, but the, in practice, I think what you see is is uh, investors and sometimes uh, advisors will will hold on to uh, stocks or securities or asset classes, whatever it is, um, you know, and, and absorb 40, 50, 60, 70 percent losses. So I, I think that while, um, you know, that adage is, is was very well known, in practice, it's... Uh, you know, not enjoyed as much by, by so, so how do you enforce that? Do you put in stop loss orders or how do you enforce the discipline to cut, cut your losses? Well, it's, you know, there are a lot of ways to do that, Jordan. And, and there's not a particular way that's, that's better or worse than other ways. The, the important thing is to have a system, a set of rules that, that govern how you're going to behave or what action you're going to take when whatever you're invested in does whatever it's going to do. And one of the things that, that we talk about, and I think it's, it, I think it's in, that, in that chapter, that it, from a portfolio management standpoint, um, when, when we take an investment or make an investment in, some, in a certain security or asset class, we have no control how that is, investment's going to perform. It's either going to do one of three things. It's going to... Uh, go up, which is great. That's what we want it to do. It's going to be sideways or, or, or behave as a laggard. Um, or the third thing is it's going to go down. Uh, and so two of the three things that can happen to an investment that we make are not good. And so uh, while we don't use hard stops, and when I say hard stops, I mean we don't enter 
mechanical stops that say, you know, we bought this at 100, we're going to sell it at 90. We don't enter those orders. But we have rules that say that, that, that react to the behavior of the security that, that we're invested in. And the idea is that uh, we want those, those positions that begin to behave uh, like we want them to, begin to go up, we want to give those uh, positions as much room as possible to contribute to total return. And so we've got a set of rules that as a, as a, as a position begins to, to do well, we've, we've got rules that, that are designed to capture as much profit from that position as possible. When uh, a position begins you know, to perform poorly, we want to uh, eliminate or, or uh, mitigate the damage a losing position can do to the portfolio. So the idea is that we don't fall in love with a certain stock or a certain uh, fund or ETF or whatever it is, um, and we don't convince ourselves that we were right uh, when, when the behavior of, of the investment says very clearly that, that, that we're wrong, or at least early. So you're and listening so, to the marketplace telling you something, and even though you have a conviction you think it's a good thing, if the market goes against you, you're willing to kind of admit it didn't work out and cut your losses, basically. Absolutely. And, and, in, and while that, you know, as you said at the beginning of this segment, that, you know, that's, that's as, uh, isn't that what everybody does? And, right. They, they all say they're going to do that, right. But, they, but in practice, they don't. I mean, if you, if you look, uh, if investors will look at their statements, you know, they'll see that they, we, what we do, we have a tendency to, we have a, what's referred to as a loss aversion. And so yes. uh, investors will, uh, you know, look at a stock that's down, say, 10%, um, and they, you know, they don't want to realize that loss, and they convince themselves that, you know, it's not a loss until they take it. And so they hold it, hoping that it'll come back, and it declines, you know, by whatever percentage, then they hope that it gets back to even, and... So, and so, so what, roughly, what kind of a threshold is 10%? Just roughly, what kind of threshold do you start getting nervous and want to scale out of something that's not working? Well, it just it totally depends on the security. Uh, and, and, you know, every, every security, every stock, for example, has its own character and it behaves in a certain way. So let me, let me see if I can't illustrate that. Um, a utility stock, for example, or utility stocks have a certain behavior, you know, sort of characteristics. Uh, telecom stocks behave in certain ways. And so the import, one of the important things to know when you make an investment is what sort of behavior is for this stock is outside of the norm, okay? And so one of the ways to measure that is what's called an average true range. And, you know, we don't have to define that specifically, but it's, but suffice to say that an average true range tells you this security, if it goes up or down 2% in a day, uh, then that's typical behavior. If it, so, if it, so when you buy something in the first place, you identify the average true range. And if it starts getting outside of that on the downside, that's when you're going to start taking a look at, at scaling it back. Is that the idea? That, that's the idea. I mean, that's a, a, that may be a, a tad... Uh, uh, simplification, but for the sake of our conversation, yes. Okay. Now, you also talk in the book about over-diversification is overrated. Why do you think people are over-diversified, and what's wrong with having a lot of diversification? 
Well, there's nothing really wrong with, with being diversified. I think that, that for one thing, that over-diversification, many people are over-diversified, meaning that they just, they, if, they look, if you look through their account, they've got maybe 10 or 12 funds or managers or, that essentially, you know, perhaps some of them are doing the same thing and, and you know, there's overlap or, the, or they're just invested in a way that, that, you know, assures that or may assure that you don't, you know, make a lot of money. So our idea is not to say that diversification is a bad thing, but in addition to diversifying the asset classes that you own, that it's important to diversify the sources of risk and return. So you need to have investment disciplines or systems that behave uh, differently than the than other systems you may employ. So um, we say that you know there are no bad asset classes. They're just asset classes that are presently not performing very well. And um, so you what know, you're saying practically is that you should get mutual funds that are not correlated with each other. You shouldn't get mutual funds that are pretty much buying the same kinds of stocks, that you should get things in different, that perform differently. So some will do well, some will not. And that's true diversification as opposed to over-diversification. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd say that, that um, for example, there's a, you know, we've had a bull market in, in bonds for the last 35 years. Uh, and so there's the, the fairly... Um, well, uh, I mean, there's a big belief out there that bonds are, quote, safer than stocks. And if you look at the last two bear markets, the, the, the dot-com and then the, the financial crisis, an investor who had a portfolio of, say, 50% stocks and 50% bonds, just for the sake of conversation, fared much better than the investor that was, say, 100% invested in stocks. That has given the impression that... Uh, that bonds will always uh, uh, buffet stock losses and declines. What what's what we haven't experienced, you know, since the late 1970s, uh, is an inflationary bear market, and with interest rates near zero, and you know, monetary policy being what it's been for the last six or seven years. Um, the likelihood is that we are going to bump into an inflationary bear market sooner rather than later. And um, so an over-concentration or a 50% concentration in bonds just because will, in my opinion, uh, create a real shock for investors when they see that not only are their stocks suffering, but their bonds are doing perhaps even more poorly than their than their stock investments. So, the so you're saying... Right now, for example, that bonds, we have long treasuries at roughly 2%, short treasuries are at zero pretty much, it's, and bond prices at the highest they've ever been is a riskier asset than it's been in the past when interest rates were higher and had room to fall. Is that what you're saying? That, that's what I'm saying. Now, we don't know when, I mean, for, for several years, we believed rates were going to go up. And I think a lot of, quote, smart money has thought that. But fortunately for us, we don't make decisions based on what we think is going to happen. Uh, as you correctly pointed out, we make investment decisions based on what the markets are telling us is happening. So um, who knows when it's going to happen? Uh, it may be 
you know, next month or it may be two or three years from now. It could be even further. Who knows? But the point is, is that if you have a strict allocation to precious metals or bonds or stocks, there's going to come along a market that's going to, that is going to, going to really hurt you. And had you had a softer allocation uh, or a position in which you were prepared to either eliminate it or at least scale it back and reduce it, uh, you're going to be, in, our, in, in my opinion, a much, in, in a much better place. What would you say you're hearing? You say you're listening to the markets. What are you hearing from the bond market now with its current activity? Because the bond market lately has been pretty strong. Interest rates have been falling. Is this a trap, or what are you hearing from the bond market right now? Well, it's, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a very clear uptrend in, in, uh, in, in, long bond, in the long bond, and uh, is, is uh, surprising as it is, you know, that trend looks to be in place. And, and, you know, it'll stay that way until it changes. And we, you know, about a, six weeks ago, there was a, uh, an indication that perhaps that trend had broken, uh, but it very quickly uh, resumed, and um, you know we may be ha- we may have you know effectively zero interest you know zero percent rates for for a while now, and 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 bonds may continue to rally, but but at some point that's going to change, and there there are not a lot of people uh, there's not a whole lot of us running around who remember the 1970s, the, the inflationary bear market of the 1970s. Uh, I certainly don't. And so, it seems like a long time away from where we are now. Yeah, well, okay. it is. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's the partner at Woodridge Capital in Santa Monica, California. His new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth. We'll be back after this. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. 
Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. His book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, An Insider's Guide to Protecting and Growing Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Thank you, Jordan. So you have a um, chapter called Stress Testing Your Portfolio. So how can you do that in advance when you don't know what the stresses are or when it's going to hit? What kind of – I mean, banks are doing stress testing all the time, but how can you as an individual stress test your portfolio? Sure. Well, a lot of investors that we see come into our office have, have basically the same you know, unprotected exposure to the market that they did seven years ago. And so, you know, we don't know what is going to instigate the next decline, uh, whether it's going to be an inflationary bear market or it's going to be whatever sort of, of uh, decline, uh, whatever causes the decline. But what we can do is we can look back at the historical uh, de- declines in, you know, a few years back in 08, 09, and then in, in, in bear markets that occurred uh, previous to that, and we can simulate uh, what will happen to an investor's assets, investors' investments, uh, in various uh, scenarios. And so, what's important to do, and it's not difficult to do, you know, it's very simple, really, to look at what what could happen. It's just to get very real about that possibility, and make sure that the client understands that while the last six or seven years has been great. Um, that, you know, the market, you know, still not immune from the sort of declines that we experienced earlier, uh, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years. So it's important just to, for the client to remember uh, how they felt when their accounts were down 40 or 50 percent, whatever it was. And so it's just a, a, a test, really, of the, of the fortitude of the client. Now, some people uh, are able to uh, experience a fifty-five percent decline in, the, in their investments, and they're, you know, they're not affected by it, and they just hang in there. But a lot of us, um, particularly ten or fifteen years older than we were when the, you know, the, the last couple of bear markets happened, most of us can't afford that, and most of us, even if we could afford it, we don't have the stomach for it. So it's important to understand what's at risk prior to. You know, being in the midst of the event. So, so, our, so, so what are some potential events? I mean, I assume you didn't see exactly what was going to happen in 2008. What are some potential events from where we are now that could cause those kind of stressful events that could upset the markets and uh, you know cause some big declines? What, what what is on the potential horizon? You think? Well, I don't see anything on the horizon. I, I'm just 
say, we can look back at, at how an asset class has behaved in the past, and then we can put those stresses on it. And what causes it is really insignificant because mm-hmm. we don't, we, there's no way for us to know. What, what causes the decline, I don't care nearly as much about, is how I'm going to protect myself and my clients when it, it, when it happens. And so, you know, very simply the way to, to stress test it is to presume historical uh, volatility on the asset classes uh, and show the client what, what could happen when we enter or if we enter that sort of period again. But I don't know, you know, I have no idea. I'm surprised, you know, that the market has continued to, you know, this year's, you know, we're basically flat, but, but, uh, you know, this, the, the bull market, the cyclical bull market that we've been in since, you know, 2009 has, I think, uh, or the duration of it, the, just the, the, the length of it, I think has surprised a lot of people. Is and the that's the thing about markets. Markets are, you know, their nature is to fool as many people as possible. Markets can go up far greater than any rational person could have, could have uh, predicted. And they can go far lower than any of the, the, you know, the deep value people predict. And so that's why we think it's so important to have rules that, that predefine uh, the sort of general uh, steps you're going to take when the markets begin to do whatever it is they do. When you deal with clients, are you getting their permission to make all these moves or is it a discretionary account and you just do it and tell them about it later? We're, we're a discretionary manager. Uh, you know, we, our clients' assets are held at third-party institutions and we have a uh, you know, uh, trading authority. Uh, so we don't call our clients and say, we think you need to you know, buy this bond and yeah. sell this stock. Um, but we're very uh, transparent and we're happy to, to discuss and we put out communications uh, you know, fairly regularly uh, during the normal course of events. And when, and, and when volatility enters the marketplace or there's some you know, uncomfortable things going on, we, we are, you know, communicate. But, but you don't have to ask their permission or convince no. them. You just go ahead and do it, basically. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. You have a chapter called What Do You Really Want? Is that hard for people to figure out what their goals are as part of your consultation process? You know, it is because people don't stop and take the time. They don't really know the questions to ask. And people in our business have done a, a pretty poor, and I'll and I put my, you know, hist- you know, in the past, to put myself in this category, we're not great question askers historically. We, what we do as a profession is we try to dazzle our clients or prospective clients with how smart we are and how much this investment is going to do better than, you know, this system is better than that and that sort of thing. And, but in reality, uh, we, we are, the, the, the clients that we're seeing are judging us, we think, by the quality of our questions. So when we sit down with a prospective client who's been referred to us by you know, a trusted advisor like an accountant or, a, or a, a lawyer. We sit down and what's what we refer to as a discovery process. And over the course of you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on, on, uh, on the client, we talk to them about uh, goals, values, their relationships, the process, you know, the things, that their, their interests. We talk to them about seven areas and only one of them when we talk about assets, has anything to do with money. So 
determining, helping a client determine what they really want starts with asking the questions that will provoke that thought. And we find that to be very, very helpful. So basically you're saying with this book, which is again called Wall Street Just Not That Into You, is that for the most part Wall Street does not do that, does not get into the deep, uh, their psychic <laughs> formula, I guess you might say. And it's, you even have a chapter called The One-Size-Fits-All Strategy. That's your big criticism of Wall Street is they're trying to fit people into the products Wall Street has to offer as opposed to customizing it for the clients. Is that correct? Yeah, we just Wall Street oversimplifies. They take take you know truths and and you know simplify them in such a way that they become um, you know that they just don't work in certain environments. And so our position is that markets change, that people change, that there are you know there. There are two parts of, of being successful as an investor. The, the, the first part are those things that you can control, and those are the things that about goals and objectives and the sort of subjective things that we talk about in the, in the discovery meeting. And then there are the things that are going to happen in the markets that will happen independent of what you and I want. The market does not exist for you and I to, to uh, enjoy a, a, a comfortable retirement. So our job is to understand the things that we can control uh, plan, you know, for those, but then to also know what we can't control and to have systems designed to protect client capital when markets are very risky and then to invest capital in a way that, that uh, compounds it in a dramatic way when markets uh, give us that opportunity. So that's the thing is that it's just not that simple. It's just, you know, here's my risk tolerance and here's your asset allocation and thank you very much and you know we expect in 15 years for you to be able to retire the reality is it's just not that simple i mean if anything today there's this whole movement towards robo advisors where they literally plug your portfolio into a computer and it goes and tells everyone what to do what do you think of robo advisors well i mean i think they're just like anything that's overly simplistic and and you know canned in that way that there's going to come a market that is going to uh First of all, you know the, the asset allocations are going to not perform the way uh, the advisors hoped they would or said they would, and the clients who think, well, you know, I'd rather pay twenty-five basis points or whatever to this robo advisor than one percent to a, a live advisor, they're going to get really, really uncomfortable when when the markets are, are are declining and they don't have anybody to talk to, and so I think you're going to see. Some people make some really bad decisions, perhaps, uh, you know, with the help of an advisor or, you know, without the help of an advisor. So that, you know, we, we just want to be prepared for what happens and for our clients to be prepared. I mean, in theory, these robo-advisors are designed to withstand any downturn because they've got it all figured in. Because every down from the, downturn from the past, they've already programmed into the computer and stress tested it. That's the theory behind it all. Well... The, the thing that we know about the future is that it's going to be different than the past. It's going to, there's a resemblance. Uh, the, the future performance is, is like a first cousin to past performance. There's a, it, it's, uh, there's a resemblance, but it's going to, the behavior of the market is going to, is going to uh, be such that, that some of those models just don't hold up. And if you don't have people there in real time to respond, then I think you're going to run, run into problems. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest during this hour has been Roger Davis. He's a partner at Woodridge Capital based in Santa Monica, California. 
Uh, his new book is called Wall Street's Just Not That Into You, an insider's guide to protecting and growing wealth. Got some very interesting ideas during this hour. So thanks so and much. By the way, Jordan, it's uh, uh, published by Bibliomotion, and it'll be in bookstores on November 3rd. Is there a website that people can go and find out about it? Uh, it's, yes, rogercdavis.com. Very good. Well, thanks so much uh, for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Roger. Thank you. Bye. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management